Make you move, bud. Because <laughs> I'll hurt you. Whatever you take it as you see. It's just, you know, like the homeboy says back home, we just chilling. Make you move. Good morning and welcome to episode 301 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Uh, 301 is not a significant number in baseball, and thus we have no significant guests. It's a significant number for this podcast, though, because it wasn't always a certainty that you would make it to 301. No, it's true. Since about, <laughs> what, episode 20 or so, I, I declared that 300 would be my last, that I, I felt like I had 300 in me. Yep. Empty threat. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, and I, I mean this sincerely, not not snarkily, I think it's the emails that have kept me... <laughs> interested uh-huh. i i feel like if if the emails didn't bring it so reliably mm-hmm. uh i would probably have checked out um emotionally but i um i feel like something's happening here so yeah i yeah if not for the the feedback is is a big part of it i like talking to you but i probably wouldn't talk to you this much if other people weren't listening yeah good point um <laughs> All right, so uh, what do you want to talk about for 301? Uh, I had a quick question about Dusty Baker, and then I thought I could talk about my two favorite prospects from the first week of scout school since people have been asking me about it. All right, I wanted to just talk about Joe Madden. Uh, it, it came down to either Joe Madden or the uh, the big news about how the Girl Meets World uh, spinoff, Boy Meets World spinoff, mm-hmm. has... Uh, has has axed the older brother character, mm. uh, but I, I think I decided Joe Madden instead. Uh, okay. Um, well, my my question I wrote something that's up at Baseball Perspectives today, Monday, uh, about Dusty Baker and his firing and his future and and the modern manager and how he should survive. Uh, can I pa- can I pause real quick? Okay. Since uh, not not the show, don't hit pause. <laughs> okay. Uh, since it seems like uh, whenever a manager gets fired, there's always some former player in the organization's history that fans rally around as a potential manager. <laughs> yeah. Like with, like with the Angels, every like like three fourths of Angels fans want Darren Erstad to to manage the mm-hmm. team. Can you think of a Red who who would who would be the most natural person to rally around? Uh, first thing I was gonna say was Sean Casey, but he's more of a he's more of a a tiger, I guess. Is he? Is I think it's no, Sean Casey. No, is... Yeah, Sean Casey's a red. Yeah, he's the he's yeah, the mayor of Cincinnati, of right? So, so yeah, Sean Casey. Yeah, uh, first name that came to mind was Chris Sabo for absolutely <laughs> no no reason whatsoever. Uh-huh. Uh huh. From what I read, the the favorites are are not those people. They're like like Jim Riggleman <laughs> is being mentioned. Uh, Jim Riggleman. Yeah. I have a. Uh... Yeah, I have a I have a prediction every year that I have with a friend, like a little competition that I have with a friend, uh, where where we try to predict the first manager hired in in any season, and we've been doing this uh, since 2001, and we have never picked a manager who was ever hired, <laughs> like not just that year, but ever. Hmm. Um, but Hal Morris, Angels organization, Hal Morris would be a, a classic red. Yeah, that that's not a bad one. Um, so my question for you, I guess, is whether you think, well, all right, so would you pick Dusty in your sweepstakes for, for 
for a manager to be hired again? Do you think Dusty will get another chance? He wants another chance. Oh yeah, Dusty will get another chance. I've always been fat. I've always thought that Dusty. I've never been a big Dusty fan, having uh, you know, having been a Giants fan from '93 to to 2002. Um, you know, I, I I lived through some of Dusty's best years, but I always sort of was mystified by the mythology of of Dusty. I mean, he. I did a post one time for um, for the score about his MV, uh, his manager of the year vote totals versus Bruce Bochy's. Mm. And it's completely disproportionate. I mean, he, it's sort of like any time, basically any time Dusty Baker has a winning season, he finishes second in manager of the year voting. Uh-huh. And I've never quite gotten it. I mean, I, I understand he's a player's manager, which And he's makes... a media member's manager. Yes. Yeah, so, well, well, certain, yeah. certain media members. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> But I mean, once you uh, allow the the players manager component of it, then you acknowledge that you know a, a portion of it is not going to show up in in the sorts of things we see. But um, it, it always seemed like his reputation far outweighed, at least to me, based on what I saw, mm-hmm. uh, his his actual contribution. But because of that, I think that it's almost certain. I mean, he's not an old man either. He's he's, he's relatively young. He's sixty four. You're kidding me. I'm not. Goodness gracious, does he look good? <laughs> he's uh, 64. I I think so. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, he's been managing for 21 years. And he's he's had some health problems recently, but uh, he says he's healthy enough to manage, and he wants to manage. But I don't know. I I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he gets another chance somewhere. But I feel like, in a larger sense, the the time of of a manager like Dusty Baker is is passing. I feel like if you get fired after winning 91 games or whatever, you're almost certain to get another job. I mean, at that point, you're, it's basically just an organization moving on. It's not an industry rejecting you. Yeah. Well, although, couldn't you say that if you're fired after a successful season, then it's even a, a worse sign about you? Maybe it's an even bigger red flag? Especially Maybe. if you have a, a season left on your deal, and I think he's going to make something like $4 million to not manage the Reds. I suppose. You could look at it any way you want. I don't know. My my philosophy, I guess, is that I, I just I don't think there's any reason for a team to settle for someone who's less than a good tactical manager. I, I mean, I understand the, the value of the non-tactical stuff, and, yep. and he seems to be someone who provides that or in certain situations can provide that. But I feel like there are enough people out there who could provide that and also not kill you with with crazy lineups or not using the closer in tie game on the road or whatever, you know, bunting with position players and whatever the whatever angers sabermetrics sort of people about Dusty. I I just think that that that's passing. I think the the people who are known for being particularly bad at at making those moves aren't going to get chances. I think the the future is people who will work with, with the front office, and that's not necessarily Joe Madden or, you know, new school innovative guys. It could be someone like Clint Hurdle, who is an old school guy and was a veteran manager and a longtime player and then and was willing to adopt the Pirates' original approaches this year when Huntington came to him and said, we want to do all this defensive positioning stuff. He said, okay, I'll... I'll help you implement that. Whether he was happy about it or he was just doing it because his boss said so, he went along with it and embraced it, and the clubhouse is happy and and the stat guys are happy. So I feel like that's that's the future more so than than Dusty. 
Clint, uh, Clint Hurdle and Dusty Baker called for sacrifice bunts uh, essentially the exact same amount of times this year for 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 what it's worth. I mean, I don't really yeah. know. Like, what is Dusty's? What is the knock on Dusty? I mean, he abuses pitchers because of a couple guys. Well, that from ten, even that from I don't ten think years ago. Yeah, that's not even true anymore. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So. I, think, what is, I mean, what exactly specifically is the knock on him? What does he do that's different than any other pit uh, manager? I mean, he doesn't use Aroldis Chapman in you know a tie game when he's at when he's on the road. Nobody does. There's like two managers who do, and even those guys only when it's like Koji Uehara, who's like a relatively recent closer. Usually, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I not that I've ever been wowed by by Dusty's tactics or anything, but RJ Anderson's long felt that um, his his tactical skills are kind of unfairly knocked and that he actually does things that are tactical, like particularly in the way that he uses his roster, uh, that kind of don't get the credit they deserve. You know, I think RJ would probably defend him as, as indistinguishable from Clint Hurdle. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. I, maybe tactically, I just feel like the, the willingness to kind of work with a, a front office like that and let the, the front office sort of implement a, a plan an, an unusual plan. I mean, Dusty spent a lot of the season, it seemed like, trying to, to persuade Joey Votto to stop walking, and, you know, that's not good. That is not good. Yeah. Well, maybe it is. Who knows? I mean, it, do, it doesn't seem good mm-hmm. now. Maybe in 2017 we'll think that it was good. But you're right. I, I, I like to watch Joey Votto walk. <laughs> it's one of the great parts of the game to me is watching Joey Votto walk. There's not there's very few things as pretty as Joey, as a Joey Votto walk. <laughs> I agree. It's true. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, is that all you were going to say about Dusty? Because if so, we should just segue into into Joe Madden. Yeah, sure. So um, Joe Madden um, is coming under some fire for his his managerial decisions in this postseason. Um, Rob Nyer wrote a post with the headline "Fire Joe Madden," which um, I don't think he actually believes, but. Joe Madden has the same initials as Joe Morgan. It makes for a good headline. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so MGL, in his blog, wrote about the decision to uh, to play Delman Young as the you know the DH in this postseason, even though they're facing right-handed starters. Mm-hmm. And I'll quote him: Before the game, Madden decided to use Delman F. Young as the DH against the righty starter Lackey. Rather than his regular and excellent lefty DH, Matt Joyce, the one with the career Woba versus righties of 360, not the other Matt Joyce, you know, as opposed to Young with a career Woba against righties of 309. But being the cerebral celebrity that he is, he had some very good reasons. Quote from Joe Madden, if you want to break it down sabermetrically, there's absolutely different righties that he's been that he's better against than others. I'll concede the point right now. The thing is with Delman. Oh, actually, this is a quote. I should note this is a yes. quote from Zachary Levine on Baseball Perspectives. I could have just started with that, it being on our site. The mm-hmm. thing is with Delman right now, I believe that he is kind of locked in, and I think he's had really good at-bats against some tough right-handers also. If you really want to break down all of our right-handers, there's going to be different right-handed pitchers. They're all going to have difficult moments against. Delman's really demonstrated the ability to come through in key moments at the end of the season, and I believe in that kind of stuff beyond the numbers. Um, and so, and MGL responds, I think I just threw up in my mouth reading that and concludes that that decision alone was about, uh, 4% of a win, uh, that Joe Madden cost his team, which is a massive, um, decision tactically speaking. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm just curious, it, Madden has done other things. He, um, has kind of 
been sort of strangely averse to platoon advantages from both the pitching and offensive sides in this postseason. Uh, he left David Price in an extremely long time against Boston in Game 2, and, and I was in the Oakland press box when David Ortiz hit a eighth-inning home run against Price to make it 7-4. to four. And it was like kind of weird how, like, in a it, it seemed like every writer in the press box looked up just as the ball was sailing over the the foul pole for a home run, and like everybody, like as one went, wait is it wait is David Price still in? Why is David Price still in? Like everybody was kind of shocked. It was like it was like like it was like a rumor spreading in high school that like a girl had gotten pregnant or something. Just everybody was like, why is David Price still in? Why is David Price still in? And um. So Madden has been unconventional, and when it works, this is like Joe Madden genius, right? This is mm-hmm. like kind of what he builds himself on. But the idea of playing the hot hand in particular is the sort of thing that managers sometimes get mocked for as being statistically unsound. Um, and so I just wanted to get your feelings about Joe Madden in the postseason, whether you think that he gets, whether he deserves uh, extra leeway uh, for these sorts of things, or or is his brain just as fallible as the rest? Mm. Yeah, so so that's MGL's contention, I think. And, and when we say MGL, we're talking about Mitchell Lichman, who's a sabermetrician and one of the authors of the book. He says that uh, basically that Madden is a, a good manager, but because he's kind of eccentric or unorthodox, we tend to give him too much credit and assume that he never makes these these mistakes that most managers make, whereas, in fact, he maybe makes them less often than others, but he still makes them. So I guess I, I buy that. My I, I always wonder whether he's just not really giving us the full explanation in his explanation. Like, uh-huh. With the with the platoon stuff that that you're talking about, there was there's the whole the Denks theory, right? That right. Uh, that it's there's a reason, there's an underlying reason in the numbers that is maybe coming from the front office or from some sort of analysis that's saying that it it makes sense to to you know give up the platoon advantage against whatever it is pitchers who are reliant on their change ups and are are you know. That that's a favorable matchup, even if you're not, uh, even if you're giving away the platoon advantage. And there was there was some suggestion that there's something like that going on with with Young, right? Like something with sliders or what was? Yeah. That? Well, the background of that is that uh, D-Ray's Bay pointed out that um, Young had put about twice as many sliders in play this year off of right-handers than Matt Joyce. And uh, uh, I talked, I, I sort of got into that a little bit with 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 them and and Jonah Carey who uh was was also making that point and um it that's a tricky thing because i mean that's suggestive right mm-hmm. you you look at that and you say oh well okay so so young is clearly not overmatched against right-handed sliders which to be honest surprised me because if you'd asked me to say something about Delman Young, I would have guessed based on his profile that he probably is terrible against right-handed sliders, but yeah. he's not. He puts them in play. He also swings at them way more than than Joyce, which you might consider suggestive as well. But I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like there's this – on the one hand, I, I do want to give Manning credit because if, if, if we assume that that's maybe a piece of evidence he looked at, it is evidence or at least it's it's data – and it's um, a little bit more in-depth analysis than just, 
you know, a strict platoon split. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you're really splitting the data fine yeah. to, to, to look at that. And it, it seems worrisome. And Unless it's something would, that was true of Young in, in previous seasons. I, did they look at that at all? Do you know? or? Yeah. I, I don't know, yeah. and maybe maybe Tampa did, and maybe it's a maybe it's something where they uh, the the Rays have looked at it in you know in in huge data blocks looking mm-hmm. at comparable hitters or something like yeah, that. Right. But I mean, generally speaking, I would say that the danger with a guy like Madden who gets this reputation, and it always sort of felt like the danger with Larusa, and and it really truthfully, it's the da- it's the danger with with pundits in general. Anybody who kind of gets this reputation as as being smart is that you start. Uh, overextending your your um, your kind of perceived wisdom, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This idea that you're gonna you get overconfident in your conclusions, and I would say that a hundred sliders um, against right-handers um, is exactly the sort of uh, sample that you would really want to be careful mm-hmm. uh, about thinking that you have any insight into yeah and it's I'm like not, a, not suggesting that the rays did it's a more sophisticated form of the same mistake that that other managers make right just looking exactly. at looking at exactly. an 0 for 10 against a pitcher or something it's diving deeper into the data but you know too deep or not deep enough or making the same small simple mistake if that's what's going on yeah um, exactly there's sort of a novelty to it that can maybe convince you that it's that it's smart, but yeah, exactly as you say, it's the same. You've got the same data problems that you have if you're just looking at, you know, he's three for thirteen against the pitcher or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to imagine him making those mistakes and yet being so smart. Sometimes, I mean, it seems like he's not susceptible to a lot of those errors that managers make, but then. For him to just say that he's playing the hot hand or something is just the most the most typical mistake that managers seem to make. So when he says it, it 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 almost makes me think that that there's some deeper reason that they're just they don't want to give away. Uh, but it's very possible that I'm just giving him too much credit. Um, it's also possible that we're making too much out of one decision. I mean, generally speaking. Um, you want to look for a sound process that is consistent in its methodology. But, I mean, the fact is that, you know, in, once it gets to the postseason, um, he only really gets one shot at this. And there's probably a lot of, there's probably a lot of details he's considering. Um, and he has to essentially make a decision with imperfect information. He's, it, to some degree, he has to guess. He has to guess who's more confident, who's more, you know, I mean, hotness is, both something that you should mostly avoid, but probably not totally ignore, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not 100% irrelevant. Um, you know, Matt Joyce had a completely awful September. Is that data? It's data. It's just not data that you want to base everything on. And Joe Madden, unfortunately, he doesn't get to make a thousand decisions and uh, hope that they even out. He's got to decide one day. Like, it's one day that, that everything is riding on and he's got to decide. And it's it's hard probably for any decision that you make in a one-day uh, sample to to maybe necessarily hold up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not giving up on him <laughs> or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to... I think that, I think that with, with Madden... There, I, 
Madden has, I, I feel like I have so much respect for Madden that um, my tendency is to want to find the reasons that he makes the decision instead of finding the reasons to criticize them. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the philosophy that we should have for all managers and that we don't have enough. So I actually don't feel guilty about having that, that tendency toward Madden. I think that I, like, ideally I would like myself to have that attitude toward more managers because, because they really do have, I mean, they usually do when you get them candid they usually do have pretty good reasons that you, or at least they have one reason you didn't think of. Mm-hmm. They the reasons might be garbage, but there's almost always something that you didn't know, um, and it's probably the fallacy is on our end imagining that we know everything that they're considering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. All right, uh, what were you going to talk about? You're scouting. Uh, yeah, so... You're a scout now. <laughs> I am not a scout now. Can I ask you one question about scouting? Okay. Um, on a 2080 scale, I, I was wondering, how would you rate the recurring joke that I've been using about the 2080 scale? Um, pr- probably like a solid 65. I like, Ooh. I like it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so people are curious about this i mean we both know that that people really like prospects and people really like reading about prospects and listening about prospects and we we don't usually supply that information because we don't usually have it um so people have been asking me what what players i've been seeing and what players i've liked so i figured i'd mention one one position player and one pitcher uh who are maybe my my favorites from this this first week and maybe maybe not the best prospects. Like I've seen some seen some name brand prospects kind of in short bursts. Like I, I mentioned Frazier, and I've seen I saw Michael Inoa for a couple innings, and Trevor Story, and and Billy McKinney, and a few guys like that. Um, but I think my favorite prospects so far were two people that that I had not been aware of before I, I came down here, and I'm not a, a prospect expert by any means, and prospect experts would have been aware of these people, but uh, I was impressed by them because I hadn't really heard of them, and we saw so much mediocrity early in the program, and the reports we were writing were all like fringy major leaguers, bench guys, utility potential uh, org guys, and then we saw some people who were a little more exciting than that. So the first pe- the first guy I really like, the position player, is, and I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but first name is uh, Gioscar, I guess. It's like Oscar with, with a K and then with a G-I in front. With a, It's like a G-O and an, and an Oscar combined. The uh, K is in, in place of the C. Yes. Uh, okay. So Gioscar Amaya. Uh, he's, he's a 20 year old Venezuelan. Uh, he is a Cubs prospect and he's a second baseman, which kind of, I guess makes you worried cause there aren't really that many great second base prospects. Um, but he was really impressive. The, the scouting bureau that runs this program is, is a part of major league baseball. And so all the, the teams that we go to see kind of are are very accommodating when we go to see their park they arrange everything so that infield practice and outfield practice is right before the game so we can watch that first and uh he immediately stood out in infield just uh, he doesn't have like an incredible arm but his transfer is is really quick and he turns a double play really really quickly and he made this like shoe top flip play that was 
almost Iglesias-esque in infield. Uh, and so all of us were kind of pressed up against the fence watching him in infield. And then in the game, he uh, made two diving plays at second that were pretty impressive. And he looked really good at the plate and he hit a home run. Uh, and he's he's not a tiny guy. He's listed at 5'11", 175. So everything we saw from him that day made him look like uh, like a really exciting prospect. He was just the, the most impressive person on the field. Um, so then I went back to my hotel room and I looked up his stats and I was not, it was not what I was expecting to see. Uh, so he spent the whole season in Kane County in the Midwest League, that's a ball. And he played 117 games and 516 plate appearances. He hit 252, 329, 369 with five home runs and 22 errors at second base. So He stinks. Yeah, so that's what I would have concluded uh, if I had just looked at his stat line and not seen him play. And it and it's not really... I mean, 20-year-old in A-ball is not, like, especially young for the league. It's not like he was playing against much, much older players or anything. Um, so... So I kind of wonder, I guess either way, it's sort of a, a valuable lesson, right? It's either the guy who's, whose stats are misleading and his he's going to put everything together and he's just sort of raw and he's going to break out any any season now. Or he's the guy who you just happen to see him in a game on the best day of his life or his tools just don't translate against tougher competition for whatever reason. So I wasn't really sure what which one of those things he was. I mean, the, the instructors here were, were pretty impressed by him too. So it wasn't just, wasn't just me and the other people who don't know anything. Um, so I asked a couple scouting people with teams about him and just mentioned that I saw him and liked him. And they both were really enthusiastic about liking him. Uh, and one of them said that, like I said, I, I kind of had a prospect crush on him. And one of them said that he did too. And then uh, the other one showed me part of his, the report that he had filed on him, and he said he was going to be a future everyday player. So, uh, so if I was fooled by him, then I guess everyone was was fooled by him. So I don't really. And, and yeah, and if he had not made the Iglesias type play, yeah. would it have changed? Do you think it would? Would he have gotten the same attention? Uh, maybe not quite the same. That was that was pretty impressive, but. All the other things he did were were also pretty impressive. So, even before he made that play, people were like starring him on their little scorecard just based on the way he was fielding and and throwing. He just he just kind of he looked impressive. So, that's that's my name, I guess. Uh, so that's someone that I I never would have looked at his stats and and said this guy's gonna be good. Although. He did hit a little bit in the in the lower levels, it seems like. So I don't know, maybe there was something going on last season. Um, but that's that's my position player guy so far. And the pitcher uh, is Brandon Bonilla of the of the Bonilla Bonillas. Uh, he is he is Bonilla's son. He is he is Barry Bonds's godson. Um, and he was so, wait. So that means that is does that mean he's Willie Mays's great godson? <laughs> uh, I don't. Can you do great, great God people? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you can do that. Um, so he was the starter for Grand Canyon University. We went to see a college game a couple days ago. And that was our first 
amateur scouting experience and they'd been telling us that when you go to an amateur game high school or college it's it's totally different from from pro scouting and pro scouting everyone has been signed everyone has been drafted everyone convinced some scout at some time that he had some sort of chance whereas when you go to an amateur game uh there might be one guy on the field who who could be a prospect if you're lucky and the whole process is different where when you go to a program, you're you're looking for players who can make it, and you're looking for reasons why they can make it. Um, and and when you're going to an amateur game, you're just kind of crossing guys off and saying, "Well, he he has no chance. His his swing is ugly, or whatever. He has no stuff." Um, and so that was kind of the case in in this game. The the two starters were sort of the only interesting guys, and one of them was barely interesting. But but this one, Brandon Bonilla. Uh, was very impressive, and I think he's he's uh, he's 19. He's a junior. I don't think he's eligible until next year. But uh, if I were someone who followed amateur prospects, which I am really not, um, I would I would keep an eye on him because he is he's very large. Uh, he looks a lot like David Price. He he's got kind of the same height, same build. He's a lefty. Um, his pitching, his pitching motion in stills. I'm looking on Google Images. Mm-hmm. Looks a lot like Dontrell Willis. Yeah, that was that was my comp when I first saw him. I I said Dontrell, uh, and my instructor preferred Price because he kind of looks a little more like Price. Um, and Price was just pitching that day, I guess, so he was kind of on everyone's mind. But yeah, Dontrell was the first first guy I thought of. He kind of has like a really long, long pitching motion. He gets his arm really extended far out there, and he's Six four, so he finishes way out in front of the mound, which seems like a good thing. And he hit ninety five, which is impressive. Um, so I I gave him a present six fastball with a future seven, because it looked like it had some some movement. And I figured maybe he'll get a little stronger. And he's got the good bloodlines, and he looked athletic and looked sort of like he was still filling out. Uh, we didn't see his breaking ball because. The team just wasn't throwing breaking balls that day. Uh, they were throwing fastballs and changeups, and he also threw a splitter. Um, and it just looked looked pretty good to me. Um, so I I like him, Brandon but, Bonilla. But Ben, did you shake his hand? Because as we know from previous episodes, you can't scout a guy without shaking his hand. I did not shake his hand, no. But I have been <laughs> I have been told that that's important for a handshake, uh-huh. and you want him to look you in the eye. Um, it's interesting, actually, that the the comps. I know that uh, there's sort of a thing where scout, scouts will comp same race, like race to race. Like if they're putting a comp on a a black player, they will choose a black player, and a white player, they'll choose a white player. And I know that some people kind of make fun of that. Um, like I think on Up and In, Kevin and Jason would always make fun of that. And and my impression of it was that it was sort of a subconscious thing that scouts would do. Uh, and I know there are certain people who will go out of their way to do uh, like, you know, a, a, a one race to a different race so as to counteract this tendency. At scout school, I've been told explicitly to do this. Um, I don't know whether it's my instructor or whether it's the whole bureau's policy. But like if I see a, a white player, I'm supposed to put a white comp on him. Weird. Yeah, well, super weird. Yeah, so I was going to ask what your opinion of that was because it's super weird. It is weird. At the same time, you can like the explanation of it. 
like sort of makes sense in a way. Like the the idea is that you're putting this comp on a player for you know your scouting director who's reading the report. He's never seen the player, and you want to convey what this player looks like, and so you want to basically get as close as you can with a, a physical resemblance because you want the guy who's reading the report and has never seen the player to sort of be able to, to picture that player in his head. Yeah. And so, but you're, but you're, you're giving data, you're giving information that is, that is, that is a social construct has no particular value and can only prejudice other people. That's yeah. why I not all, not only will I not do a same race comp, I actually won't comp a guy against the same position. So like this guy, I would only comp, I would probably comp him with Todd Frazier. <laughs> well, if I do that, I won't I won't graduate from scout school. <laughs> I have no, uh, no choice. Yeah, that's interesting. We'll have to. I I mean I'm. I it is to... interesting because I I didn't realize that it was something that people were actually instructed to do. I thought it was just kind of a. You know, like a, a thing, lazy right. thing, like not, oh, right. I called him Dontrell Willis. Yeah, right. Uh, but at least for me, so far, it's been actual instruction to do that. Um, so I don't know. It struck me as kind of strange, but I could yeah, kind of understand the rationale. But I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> can I can I go back to Joe Madden before we leave? Sure. I have I ever talked about Umbrella Man on this podcast? Nope, don't think so. So. The director, Errol Morris, did a thing for the New York Times online once about Umbrella Man. Umbrella Man was this guy on the uh, on the Zapruder film in the JFK, JFK uh-huh. assassination who's holding a black umbrella. And this guy, it's so weird that he's holding this black umbrella right in front of the spot where JFK gets shot because it's not a rainy day. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 he's the only person in the entire thing with an umbrella. He looks super duper suspicious. <laughs> Uh-huh. And he's right in front of the of the the, the killing, right? And they put, so they put guns in those umbrellas sometimes, didn't they? Well, I'm I'm gonna get there. Oh, so okay. so of course there's no reason for him to have an umbrella. It's incredibly suspicious. And so for years he was the the center of conspiracy theories. And one of the theories was that he was a a signal um, that he signaled the shooters. And the more radical theory is that yeah, he actually had a gun in that umbrella or he had like a poison dart to uh to to sort of paralyze the mm-hmm. president um and uh so you you think about this from every angle and you can't possibly come up with any rational reason why this guy would have an umbrella and so of course of course he's part of the conspiracy of course he is and errol morris um talked about how in fact um he was there and this came out many years later um, in 1978, the guy, the umbrella man actually came forward and testified. Um, and he was actually out there with the umbrella as a protest of JFK's father, who had been a supporter of Neville Chamberlain. And this black umbrella was actually con- supposed to be a, a quiet um, heckling of JFK <laughs> for his father. And so the point is, the point Errol Morris was, was making and that that I was trying to make with Madden is that there is always, always an explanation you have never considered. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. so that's the Umbrella Man. You should everybody should look him up. Umbrella Man's great, and Errol Morris is even better. So, all right, uh, so that's it for today. Send us some emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com because it's the only thing keeping Sam going. Um, so <laughs> so you need to send us some more emails, uh, and we'll be back tomorrow.